Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your word and to have you guide us as we study it. Show us what you would have us to see from this. In your son's name, amen. Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and prepare the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, and wherein three days we shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God hath given you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh spoke Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest, and hath given you this land, your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you the, on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed with all the mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest as he has given you and they have also possessed the land which the Lord your God gives to them. Then you shall return into the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave unto you this side of the Jordan toward the sun rising. Okay, so we're going to look at this. Last week we were looking at uh, the people being encouraged to be strong and courageous, the defining of their land, and if you remember the land of Israel that they're supposed to have goes all the way from the Euphrates, all the way to the Mediterranean, down to Egypt, across all, most, most of the northern part of Saudi Arabia. So that's supposed to be Israel's land. And you can compare that to what they have today, a little postage size piece of property, <laughs> a stamp size uh, piece of property. But God eventually is going to give them their whole land. And the only time that they've ever had their whole land, we emphasized, was during Solomon's reign. And then very quickly thereafter, lost it. So here we are, we're seeing Gideon has been, uh, excuse me, Joshua has been assigned the next ruler after Moses. God picked him. Moses announced him to the people, anointed him, prayed for him, all the stuff that goes toward being a leader. He has been assigned to be the, the next leader of Israel. And so he gathers up the officers in verse 10, and he commands the officers, the people saying, pass through the host, command the people saying, prepare your victuals, and within three days we sh you shall pass over this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God gives you to possess. Hey, remember that we, right now they're on the east side of the Jordan getting ready to cross into the promised land which, are, which is on the west side of the Jordan. And they've been camping outside the promised land for about a month now. Now, it took us a long time to get through the book of Deuteronomy, but they've only lasted less than a month on Deuteronomy. And Joshua is going through the camp and say, get the people ready, get them. To, and it says, have them prepare their food, prepare themselves to move. In three days, we're going to cross the River Jordan. Now, we're going to learn further in that right now, the River Jordan is at flood stage, which is kind of an amazing time to try to be thinking about moving across the river. You don't cross rivers when they're at flood stage. You, you don't like to cross rivers even when they're not at flood stage unless they're at a very low stage, but this one is at flood. And the people in the Promised Land, especially Jericho, who are close enough to see them, are kind of like, okay, we don't have to worry about them. And Joshua is getting ready to go into the Promised Land on a miraculous event that's going to take them there. But he's telling the people, get ready. Get ready because life is going to change, basically, 
Because if you think about this, for the last 40 years and the wandering in the wilderness, the people have only moved when the cloud stopped covering the people and moved as a, as a pillar to the next location. When the cloud changed from the covering to the pillar, the people packed up their tents and they followed the, the pillar, the cloud or light, depending on whether it was night or day. And when it stood still and became a overcovering, they would camp again. This is the first time they've been told that something's going to happen in a specific period of time because they're getting ready to go on the promised land. There's no more need for God to guide them all through the wilderness. Their plan is straight up. They're going to go into the promised land. And so this is a, a whole new thing for the people. Okay, up till now it's been cloud moves, we move. And now Joshua, the new leader, is saying, three days from now we're going to go into the pr promised land. Well, in the wilderness, it's the hardship of, that we're following God and we need to keep our eyes on God. And most, unfortunately, most Christians live in the wilderness, expecting the next bad thing to happen to them, expecting the next hard, hardship to come their way. When they enter into the promised land, that's the victoria, victorious spiritual living of being given everything. Now, that doesn't mean life becomes super easy for them because they're going to go into battles and all, but God promises them the victory and they're going to live off the land, not off the miraculous action of God. So there is a change in it. They're, instead of seeing a visual leading of God, now they're going to walk by faith in the victorious side of, of living. Right. Uh, because now you no longer see. And I've said it many times, wouldn't it be nice if God just spoke in your ear and told you everything you were supposed to do? You wouldn't have to worry about living by faith. But five different places in the scriptures he says the just shall live by faith he doesn't want robots just being obedient to every whim that he has he wants us to learn to be obedient to what he desires now when you're in the wilderness you want God to be directing every bit of your path because you're suffering and usually when you're in the wilderness it's because you won't go into the promised land now, pretty simple we won't go into victorious living because most of us have the wrong opinion of God we don't believe, honestly, that God wants to bless us. We don't, want to, we don't believe that God honestly wants to forgive us. And yet, all through scriptures, he says, I want to give you blessings. I want to forgive you. I want to love you. I want to, I want to super abundantly pour out on you blessings. And yet, most of us say, no, thank you, God. I'll stay out here in the wilderness where I'm just living on my, on my manna and water that you provide me. And, you know, you can keep your blessings. Because, God, I'm just not sure. Because with the blessings come the giants and the battles and the stepping out in the spiritual battles. Does that help? Yeah. Let's talk more about that in Deuteronomy than in... Well, Deuteronomy is just a re-giving of the law. Right, but where do they talk most of that about? Well, Exodus and Deuteronomy, Numbers. They followed Proverbs, Psalms. Oh, okay. Psalms has a lot of it in there where it says it was led by the cloud. Uh, just about any place they list, they give the history, a history lesson. God took you out of Egypt by miraculous things and led you through the wilderness by the cloud. Yeah. They were being led by the cloud all through the scriptures. It talks about that. 
I'd start with Exodus. I'd start with Exodus, go through Numbers and Deuteronomy and look through Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah. Just about anybody who gives the history, even in the New Testament, it says that you were led out of Egypt and, and led through the wilderness by the, by the cloud, by the pillar. So, but it's all about how God cared for his people and led them through their hard times. And when we get to a place where we've grown up a little bit with God, a lot of times he expects us to be able to walk in the spirit without our hands being held. Kind of like just what we do with our kids. If you're having to walk your teenager across every street, uh, you know, and your kid gets to be 30, 40 years old and still needs your help walking and being guided, there's something wrong. And it's the same thing in the spiritual walk. God will hold our hands as long as we need them to be held. But there's that time when he says, I don't want you to be totally separated from me, but you need to know how to walk and walk by faith instead of having your hand held and being directed every step of the way. And there's that time when we step out and say, God, I'm just, I'm going to do something. And, you know, we look at it, you know, and this is why we're called his children and we're to grow. And we say the same thing. You know, we start out on spiritual milk. And Peter and, and uh, Paul in one of his letters says, you know, you're still carnal. I have to treat you like carnal babies when, you're, when you should be eating meat. Peter goes on, you're supposed to be into meat. <laughs> you know, get off the milk. And the sad thing is, especially in our day, and I've said this over many times, most Christians don't even want milk. They want watered down milk. They don't, they're not even willing to study the simple things of the gospel. They want to be spoon-fed, watered-down, simplicity, you know, the simplest of the simple. And, and by the way, break that up really tiny for me. Yeah, so, right. Don't teach me that hard stuff. Just teach me, you know, the good stuff. You know, the blessings. Now, even worse than Sunday school. You know, in having said Sunday school, in many cases we do a disfun- uh, service to our children in Sunday school by not giving them the hard things of God in, the, in Sunday school. We teach them this, you know, oh, God will deliver, you know, he delivered Noah from the flood, he delivered Abraham from this, he delivered Lot, he delivered, and we go, okay, all God ever does is, get, is take you out of problems. Well, how did you get into the problem in the first place? We never teach them that. You know, we never teach them the side that says it's hard standing up for God, and then he delivers you when you've stood up for him. And so we need to be challenging people to grow, challenging people that God isn't just a big sugar daddy handing out gifts. And that's what a lot of people think about God. He's just a big sugar daddy in the sky that keeps, keeps you happy and, and content by giving you gifts. And then we live the life that he gives us, and we go, this isn't what I was thinking it was. I'm in pain, God. How could you let this pain happen? And God says, I've got, some, I've got a plan for it. I'm seeing if you're going to still follow me. And this is what happens. We need to move out of the hardships into spiritual victory. But to have victory, you must have a trial. Most people want to have victory without the trial. They want to have satisfaction without the hardship that says I'm satisfied because I'm past it. And you know... <clears throat> Right. Yeah. And they want everything that God can give you 
but they don't really want God. They don't even really want God. They want what he can give them. And they really don't want the trials that come along with the, you know, the, the growth. And so this is what happened when the people were first looking at going into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb were saying, we can do it. God's going to give it to us. And the other ten spies say, no, it's a, it's a really good land, but the people are really mean and they're going to eat us up. And the people believed the ten spies that had the negative re- opinion and turned away from what God could do. It wasn't enough that God destroyed Egypt with, you know, in the battle of the gods. It wasn't enough that he fed them with manna every day. It wasn't enough that he had the big rock that poured out water every day. It wasn't enough that he gave them quail every day. They got to the place where, okay, God, you've been doing all these things for us, but you expect us to fight a battle and get rid of these people? Not us. And God said, okay, fine, not you, your children. And this is where we're at at this point. Joshua's getting ready to take their children into the promised land. He says, get ready. Three days from now, we're going into the promised land. And I just bring this up because you've got to remember the people have not been in a position where they've been told you're going to do something in a certain period of time. It has been for 40 years just watching the clouds and looking for the pillar to move. And when it moved, it was pack up your bags and <laughs> get moving. It didn't matter whether it was morning, evening, night, the middle of the night. When, the, when God moved, they moved. And this is going to be something totally different. Their whole world is changing. How many times does God do that to us as we grow? He changes our whole world. He says, okay, this is what you've been doing. But you're no longer a kid anymore. I'm now going to bring you to this next level. And things are going to change. Your life is going to change in the way, you, the way I deal with you, the way you're going to deal with me. And this is what they're looking at. Verse 12, And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and given you this land, your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass with your brother armed all the mighty men of valor and help them. And the toe of the Lord hath given your brethren rest, as he hath given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God hath given them, that they should return unto you. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it. And Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you this on this side of the Jordan toward the sun rising. So Moses gave Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh land on the east side of the Jordan. Why? Because they asked for it. They go, this land's really good. We've conquered it. We'd like to stay here. And it's good for our cattle. We'd like to stay here. And Moses went to God, and he goes to them. And if you remember way back when we studied this (laughs) quite a while ago in Numbers, he said, okay, you can have this land, but... All the men of fighting age must go with the rest of the people. All right, so they've got their land. Here they've been camped out on this side, and they've been building houses and cities and pens for their animals and settling down. Never went into the promised land. Right. Their children, their, their children all the older men and young, young men that aren't fighting age, and all the cattle for these two and a half tribes are staying on the east side of the Jordan. And, uh, well, it tells us a lot of times we're not wanting to go into the promised land. (laughs) Most of us aren't willing to go into victory with God. 
Now these people were, their fighting men agreed and they did go and fight. And they're gonna fight for years before they get to go home because the rest of the people are fighting for years. Well, it started a long time ago. But the Six-Day War was the Six-Day War in its recent days. But it is the same battle. It really is the same battle for the Promised Land. So he's, he's reminding the two and a half tribes, you made a promise and I'm expecting you to keep it. Even though you made your promise to Moses, I expect you to keep your promise to your, to your brothers. And basically he said, you made the promise to God and to your fellow Jewish people. And, and Moses said, if you did not do this, then you would not be able to stay in this land and you would have to come into the promised land. So they, they go and they say, um, and it says that your servant has given you this and he says she has given you your land. Your wives and your little ones and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. So he says, you know, all your, all your possessions basically can stay here. All I want is your men, your fighting men. Everybody else can stay behind. Now you got to picture this. Uh, how many wives want to be separated from their husbands for an unknown length of time? This has got to be kind of a hard thing for them. Now, on one side, their kids are protected. They're not going anywhere near battles or, or anything like that. But there's going to be a hardship for their decision to stay on the wrong side of the Jordan. Part of what also happens to them on the wrong side of the Jordan, when they start getting swept over by the Assyrians, who's the first one to get conquered? The Assyrians come in from the northeast. They come across Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben first before they get to northern Israel. So they've been conquered easily several times because they're not in the promised land. They're not where their God said, this is your land. And in one sense, it is their land because it goes all the way to, Manet, to the, the Euphrates, but God is telling them right now, you're getting from the Jordan to the Euphrates to the Mediterranean, and they're on the wrong side of the Jordan. So we see this problem. They're, they're choosing to stay where they're comfortable. And this is the spiritual application that you were looking for. How often do we stay in the spirit where we are comfortable? Usually not spiritually, but definitely in the flesh. God, I've got a good job. My church is pretty good. Uh, you know, I've, got, I've got plenty of time. I can give money to the church. God, I'm going to help support the church. But God, don't ask me to go into the promised land and have to fight these giants and get, the, get, get great spiritual victory because I'm just happy where I'm at. And this is a sad thing because I've seen it. Uh, most families, if, you're, if their child was to come up and say, Mom, Dad, I want to be a missionary or a pastor, you know, most parents will say, anybody else's kid, God, but not mine. And I've seen it. I have literally seen it. Anybody else's kid, but not mine, God. I want my kid to be a, a doctor, an engineer, or even a, even a restaurant worker. As long as they're here where I'm at, I don't want to lose my kid to these hard jobs. I've only been in one church that actually was a great blessing and, if, and people looked forward to their kids saying, I want to be a pastor or a missionary. And it was something that was celebrated. And that's very rare, very rare. It doesn't happen in a lot of churches. But yet, is that our attitude? You know, God, anybody but my child? God, any, anybody but me? Yeah. 
But if you want to serve God, a lot of times you're kind of talked out of it because it's not for, not for everybody. If, I don't know how they come up with that idea. But, yeah. but our goal should be to serve God. And our, God, our goal is to serve God if we're going to live a Christian life the way God says to do it because he says, go and make disciples. Now, he didn't tell every one of us to go to Africa and China or, or Bangladesh or Malaysia to go, go disciple people. But, and he didn't call everybody to be a pastor. But every one of us knows people that aren't saved. Every one of us knows people that need to learn to follow God. And when whatever we know, we need to be expressing to those who don't know it as well. And this is important for us to understand and get hold of. We must be discipling people because every, everyone knows somebody who knows less than you do. And the first thing about teaching is there's always somebody who knows less than you do. That's why you teach. You know, the hardest class in the world, you know, you know, the hardest class I ever taught as a Sunday school teacher was I was in my 30s and they assigned me to teach the senior adult men's class. Okay, retired adult men who had been teacher, Sunday school teachers, had been deacons, had been, you know, the main men in the church. I had never studied as hard that, as I had for a class as I did for that week. If I wasn't at work, I was studying because I was terrified. I'm going, what can I teach these guys as a 30-year-old that is going to be something that will touch them? So I got into class, and I started with something I thought was simple. I just dropped something, the, the, the three stages of salvation. You know, I go, we all understand that, so we're going to go to the next thing. And the other guy raised his hand and goes, uh, would you explain what you just said? Okay, so I went from thinking these guys were spiritual giants to, okay, I can teach these guys because they know no more than anybody else that I've ever taught. It was also very shocking to me to do that because, like I said, these guys are, were deacons. They were teachers. They had been teachers. And to realize the low level of spiritual instruction they had was a shock. Good. My biggest challenge for those who have never opened their mouth to share the gospel and trying to get them in some way or shape to go out and share. I will tell you flat out, doing street evangelism isn't my favorite activity. It doesn't, it's not my personality, it's not what I do. I do it because I want to help others get outside of their comfort zone and start something. The average Christian out there does not share their faith with anybody. Anybody. Not friends, not family, not their own kids in many cases. You're doing, you're doing as much or more than most Christians. And my challenge for most of our people, if they're not doing it, is let's get you out on the street and do something. But if you get used to doing it on the street, you'll gain some excitement to be able to do it around your people you know. Because it's much easier to talk to people you don't know, as you know, with your shop. It's easier to talk to people... You don't know because this, I remember when we did the class and I said, we're going we're gonna to door knock or, or minister here in Chloride and everybody panicked. My friends, my people I know, people who know me, you want me to go talk to them? So you are doing, don't feel bad when I'm saying I'm trying to get people to because you are doing things. Can you go further? Can you learn more to do it? Probably, but you are doing more than most Christians do. 
When I was teaching in Sunday school, I can't tell you how many parents were telling me, my kid's really starting to show interest in God. I'm really hoping that you can lead him to the Lord. And I was flabbergasted because Lynn can tell you, I've, I was jealous about that. I wanted to be, I would accept Lynn leading him to the Lord, but I wanted to be the one to lead the kids to the Lord. I really wanted to be the one that had that privilege. Not that I was going to twist their arms or make them. And I'd have been okay with Lynn leading him to the Lord, you know, but I would have been very upset with God if a Sunday school teacher had gotten that privilege. Yeah, probably upset's a little too strong, but you know, I would have been disappointed. God, I wanted that. I wanted that. They're my kids. But most people don't feel that strongly about getting the message of Christ out. And I have seen so many families not care that their kids, and I hear really stupid things, I'm going to let my kids decide what they want. Well, is there only one way to heaven or not? Well, if a Christian parent says that, they don't really understand the gospel. There's only one way to heaven, so I'm going to let them play around with the way the paths that lead to hell, with the world brainwashing them against Christianity, and then not teach them Christianity. No. I did everything I could to bring my kids up with Christ and, quote-unquote, brainwash them into Christianity so that they were well indoctrinated into Christianity before it was time to be exposed to anything else. And I don't make any apologies of it. God says, raise up your child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And we raised up our kids to be Christians. Unabashedly, unashamedly Christian. With every bit of their teaching. And if they want to choose something else as they get older, that's between them and God. I can't control them that much, but they were raised Christian. And this is something we must do. We must reach out to people and disciple especially those of us in, that are here under good teaching and other churches are under good teaching, you take that teaching and you give it to other people. You'll be surprised when you start talking to people. My daughter tells me all the time, and my oldest son has also shared this, that it surprises them when they say something that to them is basic because they grew up with it, and everybody's like blown away. How'd you learn that? You know, and they're like, uh, my dad taught it to me when I was... You know, in elementary school, you know, and they're going, what? You know, but you know, when you are exposed to good teaching over and over and over again, you forget how different it is from everywhere else that you've ever been. And, you know, when you're first exposed, you kind of, wow, I love this. But after a while, it gets like, oh, this is normal. Just be ready. Express what God has. Teach people. You know, especially your family, because family needs to hear. And family is going to be the hardest one for you to witness to. Now, if they're saved, they should be the easiest one to help disciple, but they're the hardest to witness to. They really are. Because they'll always say, well, I remember when you were, I remember when you were just a little brat, you know, that was the worst on the town. I remember when, you know, well, I wish that you got saved when you were older. I remember when you were a drunkard just like the rest of the people or a drug user or... You can try, but Jesus, even if you remember in the scriptures, Jesus could do few miracles in Nazareth because people looked at him and said, we know who you are. You're the carpenter's son. You know, what's so special about you? How can you do these things? And it says he did very few miracles in Nazareth. And he wasn't respected in Nazareth because they go, well, you remember, you were, the, you were that little boy running around. You know, it's, who, who are you to be this great leader? Having said that, it's the same thing that happens to 
to young people who stay in the same church that they were a child and a teenager in, they have a hard time being accepted as an adult. Because everybody always remembers, uh, well, you were the teenager that did such and such. You were the, you were the kid that we found uh, splashing in the baptismal before, before <laughs> baptism Sunday that day. Uh, you know, you were, you know, you were this, you were that, you know, and they have a hard time seeing them as grown up. Same thing in your own family. You know, grandma and grandpa never see their grandkids as grown up because they're, you know, number one, they're 40 years younger, so it's, <laughs> and I'm beginning to understand that mentality. Everybody looks like a kid to me. You know, all these, all these 20, 30-year-olds look like kids. <laughs> and it's, it's hard for me sometimes to think of them as adults, you know, because they just don't look they still look like kids, and I know they're not. They need to get that respect. And we need to be able to help them get respect, but we also need to help people grow. And I'm just telling you, you if you've studied the word at all, you know more than a lot of people do, and you'll be surprised how much more you know than they do as you start trying to disciple and teach. All right, let's get back on to this here. Uh, all of your army, your brethren your, will go, your wives, your children, your cattle will stay here. And then it says in verse 15, and you'll be there until the Lord has given your brother and rest as he has given you, and they also possess the land which your Lord your God has given them. And then you shall return to your possessions and enjoy it, the, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sun rising. So he says, you're going to be there, and we're not giving you a time frame. <laughs> That's a pretty tough assignment. We're not giving you a time frame on when you get to come back. Your, your disobedient brothers have to go get their land first. You might, want to, you might have thought that I could almost expect that those two and a half tribes were a little, let's get busy, we've got to get some more battles going. Oh, we're kind of happy where we're at. Nope, we've got to get some more battle. I want to go home, let's get this. You can almost picture them pushing their fellow tribesmen to say, Let's get your land. Let's get your land because I want to go home. I don't, nope, don't, I don't want you settling here. We, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go. We got to get moving. And I think that was done on a purpose. God allowed it on purpose to motivate people to move. Because how easy is it? And we all tend to want to do this. God, I'm just happy where I'm at. Don't, don't challenge me with a new challenge. Luckily, God doesn't listen. He keeps challenging us with new challenges. But it is so easy to get complacent. God, I'm just happy. I'm happy where I'm at. Don't, don't, don't make me grow anymore. I, I'm just, I could stay this way forever, God. And God says, I got a lot more for you. I, a lot more land for you to take. A lot more victory for you to take. A lot more area for you to take. And God challenges us. Step out. Do more. Do just a little bit more. And every time you get to a place, God's going to say, okay, a little bit more. A little deeper. He is not going to let us stand still in spiritual life. He's always going to be pushing us to go forward. And oh, when you get there to the next step, it's so wonderful. And hopefully you've experienced it. You get to the next step and it's like, oh, wow, this is what I would have missed out if I had stayed back where I thought I was happy. And then God says, okay, we're going to, oh, God, no, not again. And we get there and we go, oh, wow, this is wonderful, God. I'm glad you, glad you pushed me into this, God. So... We look at this, and you know, one of the things I am finding, the longer I walk with God, the more excited I get about the challenges he puts in front of me because I look and I say, wow, what's the next? What's the next level you're going to put me at, God? 
What's the next level? I've been there where I wanted to just stay. God, I'm happy. <laughs> just leave me alone. I got my family. I got my work. I've got my Sunday school class. I'm, I'm perfectly happy. And God says, no, we're going to take you to the next level. We're going to push you, push you to the next place. And start looking forward to it. Embrace it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't push against it. All right, verse 19. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. According as we hearkened unto Moses in all things, so we will hearken unto you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever he be that does, not, does rebel against your commandment and will not hearken unto your words in all that you command him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. So the people answer Joshua, and I think this is hilarious to me. You may not find it until we talk about it, but it says, all that you command, we will do. Wherever you go, we will send you. All right, this people has been totally rebellious every time you turned around. Once already, 40 years earlier, their fathers and mothers were ready to stone Joshua and Caleb because they said, uh, forget what these other guys say. We can go in and conquer this land. And they were ready to pick up stones and kill them. Moses and Aaron are on their face praying because the people are ready to, to abandon them and, and go back to Egypt. And they, they were talking about, let's cast lots and find out who's going to be our leader for now so we can go back. And Moses falls on his face. Joshua and Caleb are trying to beg them to not disobey God. And in the middle of all that, God appears in the tabernacle and says his judgment against them. That I... Well, you said your little ones were going to be food for them? Fine. You will not go in. You'll wander in the wilderness, and, t and your children will go in. And if you remember that story, the people had this brilliant idea. God said, don't go into the promised land. So what do they do? They try to go into the promised land <laughs> and lose thousands of people in death because they did disobeyed God. And, and Moses told them, don't you dare. God didn't tell you to go in. He told you not to. And they got their butts kicked. <laughs> and wandered around for 40 years until all the people over 20 years old died, except for Joshua and Caleb. And here they are again saying, you know, this rebellious people, uh, we're, we're going to be obedient, we're going to be obedient to you, we're going to do whatever you tell. And then verse 17, they go a little further, according as we hearken to Moses in all things, so will, so will we hearken unto you. Uh, we're going to be, uh, uh, Joshua, we're going to be as obedient to you as we were to Moses. Can you picture Joshua going, oh, great. <laughs> Just what I wanted. Uh, I'd I expected a higher obedience, people, not equal obedience. And I, uh, I'm making fun of this. I know the people were being honest. They were going to say just like they did at Sinai. At Sinai, when they were up, when the God spoke, he goes, whatever God tells us to do, we will do. And they meant it. I'm sure they meant it. When they're telling Joshua, whatever you do, whatever you send us, we'll do it and we'll go there. And I'm sure they meant it. And there's not as much disobedience, it seems like, in there. Or at least we don't read about the disobedience in the promised land as much. So in one sense, I think they're true. How many times do we tell God, God, I'm going to obey you no matter what you tell me to do or where you tell me to go? And then God gives you this little assignment that just seems a little above your head, little outside your comfort zone, and you say, no way, not me, God. Uh, I didn't sign up for that, God. Yeah, I said I'd do whatever you told me, but not this. 
we all have done this at some point in our life. You know, God, anything you want me to do? Not that God. <laughs> Most people won't even tell God they'll do whatever they want to do because they're so afraid that he's going to tell them to do something they don't want to do. And, you know, that's a crazy thing because God loves us so much and cares for us. There are many people that go, well, I won't have to tell God I'll do what he wants. He might send me to, to Siberia to be a missionary. Well, if he sends you to Siberia to be a missionary, you'll want to go to Siberia to be a missionary because that'll be where your heart's at. And matter of fact, you won't be able to do anything but want to go there if that's where God wants you. God is not going to sit there and say, okay, what is, what is the worst thing that you think possibly could happen to you? That's what I'm going to tell you to do. That's not what God does. That's not who he is. He loves us. He's the parent. You know, how many of us would tell our kids, you know, oh, you, you hate animals, so I think you should be a zookeeper. <laughs> you know, you, you are totally disliking sports, so I think you should go into professional sports. I know you hate it, but there's lots of money there, so get going. You know, usually we have what's the best interest of our kids, and we look at our kids and say, you're pretty good at this. I think you'd really be a good whatever. Now, there are parents out there that say, well, I, I, I want a doctor in the family, so you've got to be a doctor. I know you don't like school. I know you don't like blood. I know you don't like people, but you've got to be a doctor because that's what I want. And there are parents out there that do that and try to push their kids, but that's not a good parent. A good parent looks at their child and says, oh, you know what? You like to really draw. You like to build things. I think you might make a good architect or a designer or even a builder and encourage them to go into something that they're skilled at. You know, and we want to be, God is the same way. He looks at us, he's equipped us, and he says, I think you'd be good at this. Matter of fact, in God's case, he goes, I know you'll be good at this. And it's time for us to just say, okay, God, I'm ready to go in. And God is not going to sit there and say, okay, what is the worst thing you possibly think you could be doing? I'm going to send you there. You know, where's the worst place that you want to live? I'll send you there. What's the worst job you could possibly think of? I'll give, make you do that. That's not God. And if that's your picture of God, you've got a really warped picture of God. He loves us. Now, does that mean he'll challenge us to do things that we think are outside of our comfort zone? Oftentimes. Oftentimes he'll push us to go beyond what we think we can do. Because he wants to say, you need me to begin with. But it's not your worst desire. <laughs> and when he gives it to you, you'll start wanting to do it. You'll start wanting to do what it is that he's asked you to do. David Livingston called to go to Africa to be a missionary. Uh, he loved it so much that when he, gave, when he died, he goes, I want to be buried in Africa. Now, they ended up burying only his heart in Africa, <laughs> but he wanted to be buried in Africa because that's what he was called to. Uh, the founder of the Inland Missions uh, for China fell in love with China and got called to China and didn't ever want to leave China. When God calls you to do something, you will love to do it. You won't be kicking and screaming and dragging your feet when God gives it to you, he'll also give you the heart to desire it. And for me, I can't imagine being anything but a pastor. I don't want to be anything but a pastor. I hate going to my other job because all I want to do is say, I'd like to be here, doing more teaching, doing more ministry, and re reaching out to people. But this church doesn't pay me enough to be, this job is my only job, so I've got to have another job. But I hate every minute of the other job pretty much. There's joy in it at times and good times and opportunity to reach out and minister to people. But it's not what I want to be doing. It's not where I want to be. And when you're where God wants you to be, you're going to be comfortable. When I, when I left 
uh, College Park to come here. Everybody used to tell me, you're so busy, you're so busy. I never felt busy. It took several people to replace me because nobody wanted to do all the jobs that I did. So in one sense, it was good that I left because now more people are ministering, doing other things, and I get to minister here. It's sometimes important for us to release some things and say, God, it's, how are you going to work? And I've always told him, but if you think you can do my job better than me, God will send me someplace else. He'll fix it up that I can do something else. Um, usually it's been in the past when I was a Sunday school teacher, director, or head deacon or whatever. If you think you can do those jobs better, be my guest. I'll, there's plenty of other jobs that need to be done. I'm not married to a job. If somebody says, comes along and the church decides that I'm not the right pastor and they need another pastor, then I'll go find someplace else to go. Start, start another church, go to another church, whatever it might be. Why? Because God is the one that leads. God is in charge. He gives the direction and we're to follow. And then the people go, and I love this, it goes, whoever doesn't do what you say and doesn't hearken unto you, they shall be put to death. Now, this is pretty bold of the rebellious people like this to go, as soon as these guys don't obey you, uh, Joshua, they should be put to death. And you could almost picture, I could almost picture Joshua kind of rolling his eyes like, uh, I'll, lose my, I'll lose my army if that happens. <laughs> you know, like, I know you guys, you're not all that obedient. But again, I just want to bring out, as we read through the book of Joshua, the people seem to be fairly obedient. There's not a whole lot of disobedience as there was under Moses. I guess it was to try Moses' patience that he didn't have because Moses was a very angry man. And we saw his anger burst forth on multiple occasions. And it was his anger that kept him from going into the promised land. And he, was, he had a very quick temper. I, I don't see Joshua being the same way. Maybe he didn't need to be tested in his patience as much. But he's going to lead these people and they've been promised to obey. And next week we'll start, we'll watch them get ready to go into the promised land or actually prepare new spies. I've always wondered why they sent spies in after the, after the adventure of the first set of spies. That would have been the last thing I would have done. Okay, the people rejected on the last set of spies. Okay, God, we're just going to cross the line. We're going to get in there. But we see spies and this time they don't turn away from God. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask you to be with us and guide us. We ask you to show us what you would have us to do. Help us to be bold and courageous in standing for you. Help us to be bold and courageous to witness and, and disciple others. Help us to know that you are with us and that we have grown in many ways and have things that, that are worth teaching. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.